What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Creating Madness. I'm here once again with my good friend and host, Ethan. Ethan, what's happening? Well, John, since you're now back from vacation, we can yet again kick off the offseason with another episode because we are getting closer and closer every day, and I'm getting more excited. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Got some fun stuff to talk over. Again, as Ethan said, we're getting closer and closer every day. Right before we get into the fun stuff, let's go over, pay the dues, talk about our social media. Ethan, what's happening over on Twitter? So, uh, ATR Madness is our Twitter. We've been posting. There's been a lot of stuff going on in the college basketball world, which we will be talking about today. Seeing as some updates have happened eh, about 45 minutes ago, and some updates have happened over the past couple days. So, we got to hop right into it. All right, perfect. Let's get into it. So... First headline, five-star Aaron Bradshaw, committed to Kentucky, unfortunately fractures his foot and is out for the season or the foreseeable future. So his ETA is not necessarily certain yet. But, Ethan, what do you think this means for this Kentucky program who might have been relying on him to have a big year in order to have their success? So Shams reported that he was out, like, for about – However, he posted on his Instagram a foot fracture. See you in six weeks, my guy. Overreaction is hilarious. So if he's only out for six weeks and they just take it easy maybe for the start of the season, that's one thing. However, if it's the four to six months, Kentucky basketball is going to be without their star freshman for a foreseeable amount of time in the beginning of the non-conference season. And I believe he might not get back until right at the start of conference play. If not, it depends on his healing process because a fractured foot can go many ways. I mean, if we're assuming six months, he gets back in the middle of December. Which obviously we never want that to happen, but that that is a hypothetical scenario that could happen, and that's not good for this Kentucky team. Considering that you know, not only is your best player a freshman, so you usually have to get back into the groove of it, but you as a team are not used to playing with them until the middle of the season. So it's just not a good scenario for this Kentucky team. Hopefully, for a speedy recovery, he can get back in six weeks. That would be nuts, but. You know, we're seeing more and more every day with modern medicine that it's a lot easier for players to come back from injuries that like this that would have completely derailed a player season years ago. So I have faith in him. Kentucky's probably got a good medical team, and, you know, I hope he gets back on the court soon. That'd be fun. All right. Next order of bees knees. SDSU is leaving the Mountain West Conference. Where they're going is to be determined, but we have some predictions. Starting off with Ethan. Ethan. Is there any particular conference that you can think of that SDSU might go or rumors that you've seen? So, um, it's either Big 12 or Pac-12. It's going to either be, can they help put together a stable Pac-12 and maybe turn it into a not necessarily top conference yet again because – if we're talking for all sports, football, basketball, everything, it'll be tough. For basketball, they're on the right track, but it's tough. Because Big 12, you still are going to have Kansas for the right 
is alignment. San Diego State gave Mountain West written notice this week that they intend to resign from the conference. And they also asked for a one-month extension. These are delays, so it's going to be interesting. Where, where do you think they end up? You know, you said the Pac-12 and the Big 12, and I think just – I think I'd rather than you go to the Big 12 because I don't really see the Pac-12 taking a, I guess, so-called mid-major, even though San Diego State has the athletic, you know, I guess, funding of some – Power, power five, power six schools, but I think they're going to go to the Big 12. Big 12, I think, is more willing to take schools like San Diego State, seeing as they've already taken schools like BYU and other smaller schools. Uh, so I think they're going to go there because I feel like that's the most realistic path. Now, will that happen soon? I don't know because the Big 12 already added four new teams. So that's to be determined, along with the fact that Pac-12 is losing two teams and potentially three with Colorado. So, I mean, possibly they could slip it in if they don't have another team. Pac-12 isn't outruled, but I think their most likely scenario is the Big 12 just based on who the Big 12 has taken. I think you're probably right about that. And if we were just to insert San Diego State, obviously it wouldn't happen. But this season, if we inserted them into the Big 12, where do you think they'd finish? Lamont Butler's coming back. Matt Bradley. Oof, I don't know. Well, okay, that's a bit of a loaded question. Hold on. Uh, Very loaded. I finish. Or, or how about this? Are we yeah. saying team or no? Would they, be, they... Able, would they be able to last in a tough Big 12 conference, which was the best conference in college basketball during the regular season last year? I... <sighs> Sorry about that. I think they made the tournament. I wouldn't be surprised if they made the tournament. The question is, is do they even get a good seed in the tournament? And I don't think the answer to that question is yes. But that didn't stop them from going to the, NCAA, didn't stop them from going to the national championship last year. So, I mean, obviously anything is possible. But the odds of San Diego State running it back and going all the way this year again, very improbable, especially if they, you know, join the Big 12, which means they're probably not going to get the best seed to do it. So, we'll see. I mean. Again, San Diego State still has the capability to do things that no one expects, as they showed last year. But I don't know. I think the Big 12 would, would hinder that, a lot of that magic that could come from San Diego State. Personally, at least. All right. Next up on the uh, agenda, Bob Huggins. In trouble again with his DUI that he has after already saying a slur on TV referring to an Xavier fan a few weeks ago. Now he has this. The question is, is how many games is Bob Huggins serving of suspension? So the, I think it's all up to the boosters. The boosters are the one that supply the money for the NIL deals for this incredible transfer class they have coming in. He already has a three-game suspension for what he said on the radio show. But now it's going to really come down to the imaging's already gone. Like, let's be honest. Like, you can't recover from saying this. Like, you can't recover from saying what you said on radio for millions of people to then hear. Now you got a DUI. Mark Q has only suspended one game. I will say that is also Gonzaga. That is also had a good reputation for. Bob Huggins, this is his retirement tour. However... 
already suspended three games. I wouldn't be shocked if they doubled that. They might do a full – I could see them doing a 10-game suspension. I think I could – giving him the – kicking him to the curb just because he is Bob Huggins and this is his retirement tour. So I'm not sure. What do you think he would get here? Because this also is West Virginia, so I'm not too sure because he did get the DUI in Pittsburgh, so – so there's there's no chance they fire him this season at least. There's absolutely no chance. As you said, it's his retirement tour. He's brought in a very good class. Um, they're gonna see what he can work with. And Bob Huggins, you know, he hasn't done too well in the past two or three years, but he's still Bob Huggins, guys. Like he's still one of the best coaches in NCAA. Maybe maybe not his prime like he was, you know, with Cincinnati. Then he came over to West Virginia at first, press Virginia, all that stuff. But he's still here. Uh he's still what the best West Virginia's got by a mile, and they're going to see what he can do. Now, again, as Ethan said, he's already serving three games for the Xavier incident. So, we will see. I mean, my prediction is that he's out for eight to ten games, which is a lot, and that's a lot of games without your head coach, especially when, you know, everyone else is warming up during non-conference play, and he's going to have to come back in and towards the end of non-conference play into conference play. So... Will this affect them mightily? I don't. I, I don't even think so because they're gonna have the assistant coach on the sidelines, and he's gonna be there every day in practice. He just won't be able to be there on the sidelines. So we'll see. Although, to be fair, from previous experience, I have played games without my head coach on the sideline, and having the assistant coach, there's a different feel of the team. It's not like it's the same exact feel as you know when the head coach is on the sideline. So. To say that it won't affect them is not true because if anyone's ever played basketball to their head coach before, who really means a lot to their team, it means something. But I would hope that their assistant staff at West Virginia is perfectly capable of taking over for a few games and letting Coach Huggins just watch on the sidelines a little bit. So I don't think it'll affect them too much. It will affect them, but the question is how negatively. And I think that Coach Huggins will only serve eight to ten games. As Ethan said, Boosters brought in a big recruiting class. They're not going to let him be out for that long. So I don't have him being out for a crazy long time. And I know next up is something that I'm very intrigued about because I randomly put out a poll on our Twitter the other day at ATR Madness just to shout it out again. Uh, serious question, which is the best way to develop talent for the NBA? NCAA, Europe, or the Overtime Elite slash G League? 68% of you said the NCAA, 16 said Europe, 16 said OTG League. Interesting. John, what's your answer here? Obviously, I'm going NCAA just because, and this is just currently, this is not history. This is over the past five years in, in the future. Which do you think is going to be the best way to develop the talent? All right, well, I was looking at this, and I want to look at it from two different ways. Am I a five-star? And I'm not talking about... You, this might come off as like a, um, I guess, juxtaposition at first, but I'm not talking about your average five star. I'm talking about your top of the line five stars, like your Zion's, you know, your LeBron's, your Wemby's, your game changers. If I'm one of these guys, I'm going to the G League in a heartbeat. And I understand, and, and, and Ethan, you might, you're just about to say Wemby's not a five star, he plays in Europe, but you get what I mean. Just five star talent. Scoot Henderson is an American who's very good. Amen Thompson, um, all those guys. I'm going to the G League or OTE, probably the G League, though, because it's literally designed to get you ready to play pro basketball because there's no shot of me going to school for a year 
to do something else besides play basketball. And it's shown through the years that the G League has existed for these top, top, top talents. G League works. Gets you in the NBA, gets you on a good team, and you're fine. So I'm going with the G League. If I'm anyone else, and I mean anyone else besides these elite, elite talents, I'm going to the NCAA. Because what I've seen is the NCAA gets you ready. You play against other very good competition. You usually show whether you can actually play or not. Sometimes these five-star talents get there and they just aren't that good. They just don't do much. And the NCAA can really get you ready. And if you're one of these five-star talents who isn't necessarily proven that he's going to be a star in the NBA just based off his high school highlights, you have your opportunity to do so. Whereas in Europe, you are in a professional cutthroat environment. If you don't show up and you don't ball out, you're not playing. At least if you're a five-star or four-star for most programs, you basically have a shot of playing almost regardless of how you know how you play. So I think the NCAA is the best option for almost everyone besides the top of the top of the line talent. And I think the only reason you go to Europe is if you can't play in the NCAA, like Lamelo Ball. I mean, he played in Australia, but you get what I mean. Europe slash overseas is what I probably should have put, but I agree with you in the sense that if I'm a top star, yes, going to the G League is a great idea. However, if I'm projected to go number one. Or in the top ten. No, it doesn't matter if you're projected to go in the top ten. Is If I'm projected to go number nine, that doesn't mean much because we've seen projected top ten picks that end up dropping severely because they choose to go to college. Henderson is projected to go number two, but I see what you're saying. So just looking at the Bleacher Report mock draft, the most recent one. Wembenyana, first, so Europe, Miller, college, Scoot, GLUT, that's one for each. Amen Thompson, all right, that's two for them. Cam Whitmore, Anthony Black, Jarris Walker, Asar Thompson, Grady Dick, Taylor Hendricks. So, so far there's been one Europe, three OTE slash G Leagues, and six college. Then you get into Law Kubali. All right, second year up. Derek Lively, Carson Wallace, Nick Smith. So throughout the entire lottery, and this is just lottery picks. I'm not necessarily talking about uh, getting to the NBA here. What about developing these players to become stars in the NBA? Which of these do you think do that the best? Well, I mean, if we're just going off by the amount of kids in it, I would have to say, I mean, well, okay, let's consider this season. How many kids are in the G League and how many kids are in the NCAA? You know what I mean? We can't necessarily just look at the top ten and say, hey, look, the no, NCAA players means that, therefore, it's better. And also, Europe, a lot of those kids are trying to go to the NBA, and they're going to stay and play in Europe as opposed to going to the NCAA. They're, they're not, their manager is not playing college. You understand what I mean? So it's a little bit more, I guess, nuanced than just looking at the top 10 and saying, hey, look. But, if I had to assess based off of that, yeah, you would say the NCAA because, at least for American-born talent, it's the most surefire way to go in the top 10. If you really ball out in the NCAA, you can take injuries. If you really ball out, you can get injured, you can come back, and if you play your game consistently for one to two years, you will get drafted high. Now, if you're a senior, it's a little different because obviously they prefer younger talent. So being a senior means you're probably going to get drafted in the second round. But again, 
you will get drafted if you play out of your mind. That that's a guarantee. Just question is, is where based on probably your just your age, maybe your height and athleticism. But if you ball out, you ball out. You you're gonna get picked high. Which is a good thing about Zena Lay. And then also play John Morant. Perfect. Nobody knew who he was. Goes to Murray State and shocks the world. Becomes the number two overall pick. Yep. Realistically, are we having come from nothing stories coming out of the definitely not OT G League? They're only offering the four and five stars. And that are trying, and they're trying to build up their reputation. And then you also, for Europe, Europe's a shot in the dark. Obviously, Luca was playing with Real Madrid, his basketball team, since he was, what, 15, 16? 15, yeah. And, and that's their, like, big team. That's not their little, like, some teams will have a B team. It's not their feeder team. He was not on the feeder team. He was on the main team. But Jokic, for example, kind of a shot in the dark. Not a very high-known Europe, not a very well-known European prospect. So it all varies. But point is, though, is that NCAA is the most fun. Therefore, it's the best. Simple. All right. And getting into some fun, let's end off the episode with some way too early bold predictions for the season. Way, 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 way too early bold predictions at that. Even... You talked about one before the show that I found really interesting. What is your first bowl prediction? So St. John's has not won a tournament game since 2000. Rick Pitino is Rick Pitino. I think that he can get a quality St. John's team into the second weekend here. Not to mention Simeon Wiltshire, transfer there from North Carolina. So he's got that added weapon too. And then I have another thing. And this is just going to be – I'm not sure how bold this is, but I think the Big East – not necessarily UConn, but the Big East goes back-to-back with another national championship. Damn. What team? If I were to pick currently, I'd pick Marquette. Tyler Kolek's a beast. I think that he's going to be a front-runner for National Player of the Year. If not, then just the Bob Cousy Award. Okay. Are you going to go with your Ole Miss one that you were talking about? Well, yeah, I was going to be the first one. Um, I got Ole Miss winning an NCAA tournament game with Coach Beard. Um, I don't know the last time they've won one. <laughs> I think the last time uh, they have, I guess, I think the last time they made it, it was 2013. Um, uh, and I think I, I, I don't actually, I can't really find the last time they won the Wednesday tournament game, but I had them winning for the first time in a while with head coach Chris Beard. Um, and I just think, yeah, the it's, last, it's, it's, just, it's just Chris Beard is the man. I mean, he's maybe not morally, but he's, he's a really, really good coach and he's got a ton of good transfers coming in. So he's, he's probably going to pick up a win. So Ole Miss. Made the NCAA tournament in 2019, 2015, and in 2013. They made it before that also, but 2013 was their last time making it to the round of 32. 2001 and 1999 were the only other two times, and the 2001 was the only team to ever make it. 
Well, if he stays there for an extended period of time, that's going to change for sure. <laughs> that's changing for sure. And oh, I don't even have a second one lined up. Well, let's see here. Um, I think the second one is, is it a bold prediction to say Miami's going to make another big run? Because they always do. Actually, you know what? <laughs> let's go on. I have, I have a different one, actually. I predict that Marquette will not make it to the second weekend because I inherently believe that some coaches are good in CWA tournament coaches and some coaches are bad in CWA tournament coaches. At Barnes, not a good NCAA tournament coach. Shaka Smart, not a good NCAA tournament coach. I have Shaka Smart not making it past the first weekend. It's just not happening. He might win a game. He might pick one up. They did last year. They beat Vermont. But when push comes to shove, play a team at Michigan State, play a good tournament team like Tom Izzo, house falls down. I have them losing prematurely in the first weekend again. I don't think, I just don't think that Shaka Smart's a good NCAA tournament coach. He's going to lead your team to success in the regular season. He's going to lead your team to success in the conference tournament. But in March, it doesn't happen. I've got them losing early. And if they go to the second weekend, they're definitely not going to the Elite Eight. All right. And I got one more just for me and you. To, this is going to be a question for you. How good do you think USC basketball is going to be this year? Are, are oh, they going to be a top in team? Uh, it, it, to be completely honest with you, it just depends on how well Bronny plays. If Bronny lives up to the hype of his dad, basically to any level, they're a top 25 team. Because they already have a great class coming in around him. They have a great supporting cast. I think they can be really good. If Bronny isn't that good, then they're going to rely on Boogie Ellis a lot more at the guard spot, and I just don't think it's going to work. So I think I, if Bronny plays really well, that team's going to be a problem for sure. So you didn't even mention Isaiah Collier, who's the best player coming in from that class. I just I'm I'm very skeptical of Isaiah Collier because he just seems like he's a pure athlete. I, I'm I'm waiting to see what Bronny does. Fair. Uh, I'm in agreement. My thing's more on the Collier side. I'm not sure he's going to have to break out, and Boogie Ellis is going to have to leave that team. I'm really curious to see everything that happens because, well. USC is getting a lot of hype. They're playing Gonzaga December 2nd in Las Vegas. They're getting the preseason hype treatment. And time to see if they're going to live up to the hype or if they're going to fall flat on their faces. And that's going to be a storyline for us to follow this entire season. To be determined. All right, well, I think that's it from us. I had fun this episode. Got a lot of good talking points done. Uh, talked about some fun news. Good times. Ethan, you got anything else? I'm all set. I'm ready. Sounds good. All right. Make sure you go follow us on ATR Madness, guys, and we will see you guys next episode. See ya.